This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and today we will be looking at John chapter 18, verses 12 through 40. And we're going to be in this passage of Scripture for a few weeks. I'm going to read the passage today and give an overview. And we're going to talk about when religion put Jesus on trial. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk next week about Peter's denial of Jesus. And then we're going to spend some more time talking about Pontius Pilate's question in this passage of Scripture about truth. So we're going to spend some time in this passage. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to John 18, 12 through 40, if not, the verses will be on the screen overhead. You can also view the verses on the YouVersion Bible app. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So, so this band, hundreds of soldiers, have come and have arrested Jesus. If you remember, if you were here last week, if not, I'll catch you up. Last week we talked about them coming to arrest Jesus. Or that was actually two weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, and when they came to arrest Jesus... He said, I am, and all the soldiers fell down. And then, Peter takes his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus picks it up and heals it. Right? And Jesus allows himself to be arrested, arrested. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, they're arresting Jesus. The disciples have fled. While that is, while that is happening, John wants us to go back and forth between two scenes. One, the trial and arrest of Jesus. The other, the denial that Peter makes of Jesus. So let's read verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so that his other disciple who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. We're going to get back to that next week, but we notice that Peter is busy warming himself at the fire and denying Jesus while Jesus is headed to a mock trial. We're going to see that much about this trial was not legitimate. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in temples 
where all the Jews come together, I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. It would appear from study that this is how it was supposed to be in court. A person shouldn't be asked to testify for themselves. There should be somebody. First of all, there should have been a formal charge brought against Jesus, right? You can't just, just like today, you didn't just arrest him. Well, what are you arresting me for? I don't know, right? We're going we're to see that. And, and so, Where's the evidence? They're asking Jesus uh, these questions. He's, he's asking, why don't you ask the people who've heard me? Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Just make a comment here. John Calvin said one time, if they can't beat their, your argument, they'll try to beat you, right? Try to use violence. Violence doesn't make right. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now John switches back to the other scene where Peter is, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Next week we're going to talk about the denial of Peter. But notice that that is happening while Jesus is off at trial. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. We're going to talk about that later, but they shouldn't have been arresting and having a trial at night. They didn't seem to care about the rules and just did what they wanted. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. So they arrest him at night. Now it's all the way in the morning. And notice this. Take note of this. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they could not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Did you catch the hypocrisy? Here are religious leaders who are unwilling to go in because they don't want to defile themselves for the Passover. Now, if you're not familiar, the Passover was a celebration of the Jewish, Jewish folks, still a, still a celebration of how God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. It's also a reminder of that plague that came, that the firstborn would be killed unless you had the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. I believe it also points to Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice to set us free from our sins, right? But here are these religious folks falsely accusing Jesus and refusing to defile themselves by going into the governor's headquarters. It's pretty significant hypocrisy, isn't it? 
So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Seems like a fair question, right? What accusation do you bring against this man? Verse 30, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Did you hear an answer there, guys? I didn't hear. And I don't know what the tone was, but I see that sometimes when people don't have an answer, they, they just get defensive. Right? There should have been a formal charge if they were going to bring him there. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the control God has over these circumstances, right? He's saying, you know, this isn't just accidental, John's saying. This happened that Scripture might be fulfilled, the means by which Jesus would die, would die on a cross. Verse 33, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Just come in here. Jesus shouldn't have to tell them what the, he's being arrested for. They should have to provide that, Correct? I mean, can you imagine getting pulled over by a police officer? And he said, what, do I, what did I pull you over for? What is it? You know what I mean? You, 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 you tell me if you're going to bring a charge. What is it? Jesus had done nothing wrong, right? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? I want to spend a whole week on that. Okay? Because the context in which Pilate says that is very interesting, and it's very important to us to understand truth and where we find it. Continuing to read. After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. It would seem that Pontius Pilate tried several times to have Jesus released, didn't he? Not because Pontius Pilate was a nice guy, 
In Luke's gospel, the 13th chapter, we see him mixing some Jewish people's blood with their sacrifices. He could be a man of violence. We know from the other gospels he'd been warned by his wife about Jesus. And, and so he tries to get the Jewish folks to, to handle it themselves, and they won't do that. We see in the other gospels he has Jesus beaten, thinking that will handle it. It doesn't. He says, well, how about we just let Barabbas go? Instead, they're not up for that either. Matthew Henry said that when a bad thing was to be done by a high priest according to the foreknowledge of God, providence so ordered it that a bad man should be in the chair to do it. God never does evil or tempts anyone to do evil, but he rules over evil in such a way that he accomplishes his purposes. So, that deep theological question comes up. So what? What about this story of Jesus? What difference does it make in my life? What does it matter if it's true or not true? What can I learn? Well, there's many things, and we're going to spend many weeks here, or at least a few weeks. But point one, we see that false religion replaces relationship with rules and love with legalism. Why did the false religious leaders want Jesus arrested and killed? Well, because Jesus opposed their legalism. And because their religion wasn't based on loving God and loving people, it was about getting people to love them and give them stuff. On March 20th, 2016, I did a sermon on John 5, 1 through 18, entitled Religion That Hurts versus Jesus Who Heals. At that time, in that sermon, we looked through the text and, and we mentioned these things. Jesus cares about the desires of the heart. False religion doesn't. It only cares about the outward performance and behavior. Jesus brings healing. False religion doesn't heal anything. It makes it worse. Jesus brings salvation. False religion doesn't save anyone. Jesus empowers us to obey what he commands. False religion doesn't help us do what we're supposed to do. It just tells us what we're supposed to do. Jesus knows God's laws are meant to serve people. But false religion doesn't see the laws of God as means for a better relationship with him and to better love others. It sees them as a means to manipulate people, right? And Jesus clearly knew that he was more than just a, a human teacher. False religion didn't. I mention this often, but it's, it struck me. Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist who's now passed away, died, wrote a book, God's Not Great, How Religion Wrecks Everything. And I thought about that, and I thought about it. Here, here's the thing. What he does is he lumps all religion together and then says they're all bad and destructive. What we as Christians say is false religion wrecks everything. And a false understanding of God isn't great. We love people who embrace 
false religions, but we love them enough we want to see them called out of those false religions into the truth. Amen? Christopher Hitchin thinks he has to abandon false religion and jump into no religion. I believe he evolved from nothing and is heading to nothing. I don't think that's a happy place to land. Let's bring these points. False religion replaces relationship with rules and love with legalism. True religion is based on a relationship with God and others. Jesus told us his greatest commandment, and you guys, many of you know this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not what false religion does. False religion holds up rules, tries to puff itself up and feel better and superior to others. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12 through 26. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And everyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Isn't that exactly what we, we see them doing at Jesus' arrest and trial? I don't want to make myself unclean by going in there and falsely accusing Jesus. Do we have a tendency to be like these Pharisees, to not really clean out the inside of the life, but just project some kind of outward image. To strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <coughs> to act as if the worst thing we could possibly do with our tongue is use the wrong word to refer to a pile of manure. And there are a lot of people carving each other up 
with gossip, but they don't say any swear words. I just wonder sometimes if God looks down and says, you know what, you can use a different words, word for that stuff if you want, if you'll stop talking that way. Use your tongue to build people up, to bring praises to God, to build into lives. I, I don't know how this affects you, but to me, I don't believe that God ever shows us somebody else's sin in full bloom so we can just point at that and say, look how horrible that is. I think he does it so that we can look back in our own life and see that there's seeds of that same kind of sin that I need to make sure that I, that I have crucified at the cross of Jesus Christ and done with. Are there places in your life that you're, that you're stranded on a nap but you're swallowing a camel? You, you missed the point. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Jesus' call for authentic, real living, for people who tr truly love God and love others, got him in trouble with some of the religious leaders. Second thing we see is false religion promotes corrupt government. We read through history, we can see how false twisted religion, sometimes even in the name of Christ, has connected itself with corrupt governmental power and, start, and tried to use the, the power of the government to enforce that which was not appropriate. As I was looking through this passage, I, I, was, I was thinking about the fact that there are many, 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 many people who think that they can take a wrong and make it right by making it popular. They can take a wrong and make it right by making it popular. Just get enough people. I mean, there, there's, there's a crowd here. We must be right. And there are many people that, that think that you can take a wrong and you can make it right by making it legal but it doesn't make it legal. I mean, it, doesn't make, it does make it legal, but it doesn't make it right. I mean, we value religious freedom because no one can be forced to believe truth. But we must remind ourselves that when false religion tries to use its force to kill those who oppose it, no legal action can make what it does right. There is much about this trial, by the way, that was corrupt. According to James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary, the trial was, trial was illegal for these reasons. One, it was at night. The law wouldn't have allowed that. It was conducted the day before a Jewish Sabbath, also not supposed to happen. It was completed in one 24-hour period, also not supposed to happen. It was based on the defendant's confession, also not supposed to happen. It was concluded with a unanimous and therefore invalid verdict. There was supposed to be someone there. They didn't have lawyers who represented Jesus' perspective. They didn't care about any of that. 
They just wanted done what they wanted done. Some of this sound familiar, by the way? Third, false religion opposes Jesus. False religion is not a friend of Jesus, although there are many who may be advocates of false religion whose spiritual journey may end in Christ, that journey will require a switch of roads. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Let me get to some really important things here. It's all been important, but I, I want to close by thinking about this. I hear a lot of people complain about hypocrites in the church. But the way to counter the, the hypocrisy of false religion isn't to abandon any religion or spirituality. It's to find true religion in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And to act as if hypocrisy is something that someone else has, and I, I, I just don't know what that's about, is ridiculous. Right? guy at our church one time, he told me I could tell this story. He called on the answering machine to, to report on something at the church. And, and when he did, he called on his cell phone, like on the hands-free thing. And he wasn't paying attention and he ran a red light. Yeah, that, okay, but for the answering machine was quite interesting to listen to. Hey, Pastor Kevin, calling you to check on. And then some words that are not normally heard on the church answering machine. <laughs> Then a very long pause, really long, and an awkward, um, sorry about that, I ran a red light by accident. Um, yeah, anyway, about that paper. I was having a hard day, and maybe it's a strange sense of humor, but I had to play it several times, because I thought it was... What does that have to do with hypocrisy? What if he treated it differently if it wasn't on the pastor's answering machine? If we believe that we ultimately live our lives before God, why do we change our behavior to impress people? Shouldn't we be the same if someone's there or not? One of the things that I get told a lot of times is there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. I used to go to do a Bible study in a jail, and I've, I've met with folks, and my point is there's lots of hypocrites everywhere. They're certainly at the bar rooms, Right? I mean, I told somebody one time, he goes, the only reason that you think you can get away with telling me that there's no hypocrites in the bar and they're only in the church is because you don't think I've ever walked into a bar. <laughs> right? Some people, I'm not saying anything, Pastor, not saying anything. <laughs> right? I mean, alcohol destroys a lot of lives. We know that, right? But so do the lies around some of those bar stools. My goodness. We're genuine, we're authentic. Baloney, you're not. The only way that we can face the reality of who we really are is through faith in Jesus Christ. He knew that. That's why he came to die on the cross to set us free. Right? We're either going to embrace his grace or we're going to make up some lame excuses our whole life. That's, that's the first thing I want to say. You see, someday, someday we'll stand before God. I believe that. At a judgment seat. 
And it's not going to be like an episode of Family Feud. You guys seen that show? <laughs> and he's not going to go, adultery, survey says. It's cool at this period of time. You're all right. Lying. Lust. It's not going to go like that. And our defense can't be, well, golly, gee whiz, I'm just a human, what did you expect? Jesus was fully human and fully God and never sinned. It's not going to get before him, he's going to go, okay, well, glad to have you today. We're going to have this, this your case is going to have to go before the Supreme Court. Let's see what they say. No, we'll stand before God. Jesus won't be put on trial by false religion. All people were put on trial by God. We believe in one God who has forever existed as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. My question is to you, when you stand before him, and he says to you, why should I let you into a perfect place where there is no sin, no greed, right? No anger, no lust. Why should I let you in there? You've cried out that you wanted me to do something about evil. I'm doing it now. And this place is perfect. Why should I let you in? The only answer that works is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And then if he asks a follow-up question, how do I know that you knew Jesus? Well, I don't know that we'll have to ask that because Jesus will probably step forward and testify. I know that one, right? True? But if he did, we should be able to say, I may not have been perfect, and I'm not saved by my works, but I tell you this, my life was changed by Jesus Christ. He forgave me for my, for my sins. His Holy Spirit came to indwell my life. I lived and I loved differently. Not perfectly, but differently. And he who began a good work in me guaranteed me it would come to a day of completion. And so today, I not only stand before you free from the penalty of sin, I stand free from the very presence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then I will walk in, you will walk into heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ and will never be a jerk again. Praise the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said two things about hypocrisy, the old Baptist preacher. He says, one, the hardest thing about talking about hypocrites is whenever you talk about it, the hypocrites think you're talking about somebody else. <laughs> then he said this, the hypocrite wants to be free from the consequences of his sin. The true convert wants to be free from his sins. The true convert says, it's not enough just to forgive me, Lord. I want to live differently. I want to live as you want me to live, and I'm still battling unbelief and sin and problems and doing the wrong thing at times, and, and you've saved me, and you're working in me, and you've told me you're going to bring it to the day of completion, and I can't wait for that day, Lord, and I just keep striving by your grace and by your goodness and your love to love you more and love people more, and I know there's coming a day that will be perfect. And we live in perfect communion, in perfect harmony. And that's because of what you did, Jesus. And that's why these weeks, we're taking a look at John 18 and what Jesus did on the cross. It's not 
empty nonsense. It's life transforming. I pray that you give your life to Jesus if you haven't. And if you have, and you've been playing games, you stop playing games. We got a lot of people who need their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. They don't need false religions that pumps us up and looks down on them. We need to get down together and say, hey man, I know it's tough sometimes, but we got a Savior. We got a Savior. And our Savior will win. Amen.